welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and with me is no one for the first time ever on the history of the Through the Banner podcast. It is just me on the podcast today. This could either turn out really, really well or absolutely horribly. A little bit like how the Sydney Swans are playing at the moment. They're either playing brilliant football or they're playing absolutely terrible football, but they're still getting the job done and I'm hoping to get the job done today. Fingers crossed. Now, basically, still going to go through the main structure of every single episode, the main highlights, the main lowlights, player that surprised me the most, main talking points, and then going into my tips for round seven. Lots of interesting games, lots of potential 50-50s, and I've tipped a few upsets there. I'm trailing my dad at the moment by about five tips, so I've got to make up ground somehow, and I reckon this is the week I'm going to do it. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed. Otherwise, I've just jinxed myself. Um, On to the first main highlight, and I think I, I, I have to mention this team as a team that I have routinely talked trash about this season. Finally, they got their act together. And unlike Essendon, when Essendon won our, when we, when we won our first game of the year, only just, this team went out and thought, do you know what? We haven't won a game since the qualifying final last year. Might as well go out and do a good job. Port Adelaide, 84-point winners demolishing West Coast in every single key statistic, 31 more inside 50s. They had close to 100 more disposals. It was an unbelievable domination stoppage. They dominated the hitouts, crushed them in the clearances. This was an all-round unbelievable performance by the Port Adelaide Football Club. And full kudos to them because I thought they were going to lose this game. And at zero and six, they were really staring into the abyss of a lost season. And now there is a flicker. There is a flicker of hope. No matter how faint it is, there is a, a, there is a flicker. Um, and they should be very proud of how they played. Fantastic effort. Just to show you, dear listener, how great they were. They won the tackles by 17. They had 25 more tackles inside 50. And yet they won the disposal count by 76. That is is unbelievable. It is extremely rare to win both the tackle count and the disposal count. It's extremely rare, even more rare, excuse me, to dominate both. And they won the marks inside 50 by 11-2. But what it meant is that even when the ball hit the ground, inside 50, the Eagles had no time, no space to clear it out. Port Adelaide might be back and it might just be in time to save their season. So we get onto that in a second. My second highlight, Anzac Day. I went to Anzac Day with a good Collingwood supporting friend of mine. And it was just great to be part of such a big crowd again. 84,000 people showed up, the biggest crowd in Australia. Uh, for a game of football, biggest crowd in Australia, I believe, for an event other than the Grand Prix um, that was in Melbourne a few weeks ago. It was an amazing day. 
and I will always, always, always get chills up and down my spine whenever I hear that silence during the last post and during the minute silence and then contrast that with the roar a minute and a half later after the national anthems are sung. Just always gets chills up my spine. And even better, it was a great game of football. It was a great game of football that up until the final couple of minutes, you genuinely didn't know who was going to win. It was a good game of football. Both teams, I think the biggest lead was 18 points at any given stage. And it was uh, a match deserving of the occasion. It was, it, was, uh, it was a wonderful performance by both teams and phenomenal effort by Collingwood. Um, great job, Jack Ginevan, well-deserved Anzac Day medalist, so young and kicked five goals on such a big occasion. It's magnificent. Darcy Parrish back in the form a little bit, 42 disposals, uh, excuse me, 44 disposals, equal most in Essendon's history. An unbelievable effort. Um, although I do question just how many of those disposals were effective. That's that's my only that's my only query with Darcy Parrish. Like you can get 37 disposals, but if they're all going backwards and sideways, like what's the point? On to my third highlight. Normally, dear listener, normally there's just two, but because it's only me this week. You lucky thing, you, you get three highlights from me and three lowlights. How good is that? I always look after my listeners. Number three for me, the Adelaide Crows. So they proved that they can win close competitive games at home against good or at least decent opponents. They proved against Essendon that they can play well away. But they were yet to win a game on the road this year, the Crows. And they came out in Ballarat against a Dogs team that plays pretty well in Ballarat. And they won a ripping contest by a point. They should have won by more. 23 scoring shots to 17. They should have won by more. But that's besides the point. They won. And that's all that matters. 58 to 43 inside 50s. You're not going to lose a game when you're trailing uh, when you're winning the inside 50s by that much. Hit outs, 21 plus in favor of the Crows. Uh, they actually lost the clearances, uh, which is interesting, but perhaps not surprising considering how dominant the Dogs midfield is, at least on paper. Um, other than that, it was, it was you know, the stats mostly mostly uh, match up with, with how close a game it was in the end. Marks inside 50, the Crows won uh, by double the amount that the Dogs were able to get 16 to 8. Tackles, dogs won, but that's unsurprising. Tackles inside 50, the Crows won, though. So, again, when the ball hit the ground, the Crows just put too much pressure on the dogs. Dogs couldn't clear it out. Um, yeah, it's just a, it was just a great, great, great all-round effort. And oh, this Crows forward line, even though they only kicked eight goals, it's just so damaging because anyone can stand up on that on any given day. Tex Walker, three goals. Shane McGadden, two goals. Uh, Lachlan Gallant. Ned McHenry, Lachlan Scholl all popped up and kicked a goal. It was just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful all-round performance by a team that I think, and this might be a big call, but I think now stand a legitimate chance of challenging for finals football this year, which was not something that you would have said after round two. It's been a great turnaround. Now, of course, for every single highlight, there's got to be every single low light as well. There's got to be a yin, there's got to be a yang. And now we go on to the low lights. I mentioned Port Adelaide as my number one highlight. 
So it stands to figure that West Coast has got to be my number one low light. Dear listener, I cannot describe to you how disappointing these West Coast Eagles were. Kicked the first goal of the game and then conceded the next 11 in a row. Now, granted, right, I know there are some of you who would be saying, Casper, aren't you an Essendon supporter? Didn't they concede 21 in a row against the Dogs a couple of years ago? Yes, they did concede 21 in a row. But nevertheless, 11 in a row is not as bad as 21, but it's still pretty terrible, especially in a game where you were probably, if you weren't favourites, you probably should have been on form. But it's more so not just not just the not just the awful performance, right? Not just the awful performance on the weekend, but it's the context of the season. They have gone from competitive, uber competitive, being super impressive, dealing with the mountain of injuries and COVID outs that they've had, having respectable losses after respectable losses, grabbing a great win against Collingwood on the road, to having two shocking losses in a row. Now, interesting stat here. The Eagles, after they won the flag in 2006, won the wooden spoon four years later in 2010. That year in 2010, round four was their only win in their first six games, and they did it against a big Victorian club in Essendon. 12 years later, we're coming to the four-year mark since they won the flag in 2018. After six rounds, they've only won one game which happened to be in round four, also against a big Victorian club in Collingwood. I think what it goes to show is that West Coast should be favourite for the wooden spoon, not just the historical context, but because they are genuinely a terrible team. Like you take away Withered and you take away Kelly, you take away Hearn, you take away Shuey, and it just drops off the map entirely. And you might be saying, oh, that's because they've got waffle players. I disagree. Their best, their only win this year was when they had like a majority of their players being waffle players. And they're bringing back these AFL listed players and they're just not, they're just not having an impact, enough of an impact. And it's really, really, really disappointing. Um, But I think what the previous stat also showed you is that Collingwood and Essendon are both also horrible. Um, On to the Western Bulldogs. What a fall from grace. What a fall from grace. This time last year, there was uh, six and zero. No one was looking like they were going to beat them. They're on top of the world. And it was looking like the dogs were going to add a second premiership in the space of five years. And going to build a little dogs dynasty. Uh, as we know, they did make it to the grand final, 19 points up. Since going 19 points up, they have been at best a mediocre football team and I really thought they got their act together against North Melbourne and looking at their run in the fixture I thought this is easy this is going to be a nice easy run for them but there is nothing that is ever easy in this sport and they collapsed against the Crows when it really mattered this was a golden opportunity for them because the fixture is going to get harder for them later on. Now they're under even more pressure at two and four. Man, three and four? The season sounds salvageable. Two and five? And you might be getting into the realm of, uh, it's a bit too difficult, a bit too impossible. 
but we'll see. We'll get onto that in a second. But my third low light, it's got to be the Carlton Football Club. Somebody's got to find that lid, got to put it back on the excitement. For a team that won the disposal count by 23 to then lose the inside 50 count by 18, it's it's it speaks to, I think, key injuries. Mark Pitnett out, uh, Dockers crushed the hitouts by 50 to 18. Despite that, the Blues actually won the clearances by three, 36 to 33. Yet they had way more turnovers than, than the Dockers did. They lost the marks um, and uh, they've only had 10 tackles inside 50. Look, it was just a disappointing performance by Carlton. Honestly, if you look at the stats, most of the key stats indicate that this should have been a close game. Uh, and yet they lost by 35 points, which is really, it's, it's disappointing for several reasons. Number one, it's disappointing because they had such a strong start to that game, kicked the first couple of goals up at quarter time, only to, in the next two quarters, concede 10 goals and only kick four of themselves. And Fremantle probably should have won by more. Pretty inaccurate. Kicked 13 behinds. It's just disappointing from Carlton. And you just wonder, like, they could play well in Victoria. That much is obvious. But whenever they travel into state, they've traveled into state twice this year, got comfortably beaten both times, five to six goals by Fremantle. Fremantle is playing well. At least they have that excuse. And the Gold Coast Suns. And if they can't play well into state, then you have to have an impeccable record in Victoria to have any chance of getting a home final first week of the of first week of the finals. And yet they nearly choked away a 50-point lead against Port Adelaide at the MCG, nearly choked away like a five or six goal head start against Hawthorne at the MCG. So I don't know. I don't trust them just yet. I don't trust them just yet. Now on to the player that surprised me the most, and it pains me to say this. As an Essendon supporter, but it has to be said, Jack Genevin, an unbelievable performance by a player who what was in his 10th game. In his 10th game, he kicks five goals in front of 84,000 people, 12 disposals, uh, Let's see if he took any marks. It wouldn't be surprising if he dominated this. Yeah, there you go, five marks. Uh, even laid a tackle. Might have even had a clearance in there too. I'm not sure. He just dominated absolutely everything. And you know what? I'm probably just saying this as an Essendon supporter. Right? I, di- I didn't really appreciate the sass. Not going to lie, I didn't appreciate the sass when he turned around and gave us a treatment. Not really sure that it's a celebration you know, befitting of the occasion and befitting of the day. But with that being said, I probably would have loved it if he was an SNN player. Probably would have loved it. Didn't really enjoy the Collingwood supporter in the crowd that was sitting close to me, who then stood up and gave us SNN supporters the treatment afterwards. But that's besides the point. He played a complete game throughout the entire four quarters. And it wasn't like he, he, he just dropped off. After halftime, you know, dominated the first half. Well, it wasn't like he just showed up. It was always, always, always a great performance from him. And he really stood up because Collingwood's other forwards were extremely quiet. Jordan Degoe 
Um, so I guess he's kind of plays more in the midfield now. 27 touches, but didn't kick a goal. Um, on the goal front, Majacek kicked four. He played very, very well. But Darcy Cameron only kicked a goal. Brody Grundy only kicked a goal. Um, needless to say, if it wasn't for Jack Ginevan, Essendon would have won and would have won comfortably. And so Collingwood get that season back on track. And can I just say 15-3 as well? Unbelievable accuracy. You know, full kudos to Collingwood. They took full advantage of their opportunities and we did not. And so that was the difference in the end. And one of their behinds was actually a rush behind. And so really only two Collingwood players kicked behinds. But that's, that, just think about that. That's amazing over the course of a football game. Kind of don't want to talk about Anzac Day anymore just because of how sad it was that we lost. But it's just an amazing occasion. And, and, and I genuinely think that the AFL always does such a wonderful job with these big occasions at the MCG. Such a special, special, special day on the Australian calendar. And so full kudos to everyone involved. Um, to the AFL, to the players, to the clubs, to the fans. It was a really, really, really wonderful day, special day to be there. Um, and if anyone is listening to this who is either uh, who has either served um, or who is currently serving, um, thank you for your service and thank you for everything that you've done for this country. Now, on to the major talking points. We'll lead on straight from Anzac Day to talking about this. Very quickly, Darcy Parrish, 44 disposals. And he did not get the Anzac Day medal. Now, my question is, was he robbed of the medal? And no, I do not think he was. A, he wasn't robbed of the he wasn't robbed of the medal because we lost. Had we won, then yes, I think that he probably could have and maybe should have won the medal. But let's have a look here, right? 44 disposals. I'm actually looking at this. We have the top three disposal getters on the ground and it was still lost. How is that even possible? 13 kicks, 31 handballs. That to me, I don't know. I always prefer a player to have more kicks than handballs. And the fact that it was such a lopsided amount of handballs probably means that that he wasn't impacting the game as much. Uh, took a mark, laid a couple of tackles. Probably want him to lay more tackles, to be perfectly honest with you. Only laid a couple of tackles. Look at the leading tackles uh, on the ground. Maynard, six. Cripps, five. Quainor, five. Adams, four. You can get 44 disposals, but you've got to do some of the other things in the game as well. Um, granted, he did have 12 clearances, which I think is extremely impressive, more so than the 44 disposals. Everyone goes on about the 44 touches, and yet he had five more clearances than the next uh, most on the ground, which is Jordan Ngoi with seven. But yeah. With that being said, he did go off the ground with a tiny little injury concern at the start of the fourth quarter. And I just wonder if that um, negatively impacted him in terms of the voting in the end. Um, but I don't, I don't think he was robbed. I think Jack Ginevan absolutely deserved it. And more often than not, I think it should go to the player who, uh, you know, the player in a team that actually won which in this case was Collingwood. So it should have been a Collingwood player, Jack Ginevan. Yeah, it was a great effort. Getting three votes from three different of the judges. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was great. Um, there was a lot of Essendon supporters unhappy with Joe Watson and he didn't give a vote to Darcy Parrish, but looking at the players, he did give votes to Ginevan, Degoe, Howe. Yeah, it all makes sense because they all played really, really well and they played on a winning team. So had Essendon won and had Darcy Parrish not won it, 
then yeah, I would have said that he was robbed. But there you go. Now on to where the ladder is at the moment. There are several teams who find themselves one and five. Several of them would have expected to play finals football this year. The Bombers, the Giants, the Power and the Eagles and the Kangaroos probably would have expected to be a lot better than what they currently are. Should these teams be turning their attention to 2023 just to get the rest of the year, play the kids and hope that next year you'll have a better run with injuries and you have a better run with form? Hmm. Well, let's discuss Port Adelaide first because I think this is the most interesting team. They are probably the one, even though they lost their first five games, who has shown the most promise. Nearly beat Adelaide. They should have won that game. They comfortably led Brisbane at the Gabba before losing. They should have won that game. And they nearly won from 50 points down against Carlton before absolutely annihilating Port Adelaide. They have a very winnable game against St Kilda. They play the Dogs who are down on form. They could win that. They play North Melbourne in Tasmania. North Melbourne's a little bit of a bogey team for Port, but with how poorly they're going, wouldn't be surprised. If Port Adelaide can get on a run and win two, three, four games in a row, all of a sudden they could absolutely play finals football. However, and this is the thing, when you start so poorly, there's very little room for error. You arguably want 13 wins to guarantee yourself a spot in finals, 12 at a stretch if you have good percentage. With five losses already on the board, they can only afford four to five more defeats. They played Geelong and Geelong. The Dogs could get it together, maybe in round eight. Who knows? They play the Bombers twice, and I only bring up Essendon because I hope that Essendon, we've gotten our act together by the time we play Port Adelaide. They play the Tigers at the MCG, Richmond at the MCG, always tougher to play than Richmond anywhere else. They play the Red Hot Swans, though granted Sydney haven't beaten Port Adelaide since 2016. They play, yeah, they, they yet to play Fremantle in Perth. They yet to play, uh, they have to play Melbourne again. They play Geelong again. And they play Richmond again. They play Dangerous Collingwood at the MCG. And they have yet another showdown. So you're telling me that they're only supposed to lose four or five of those games? I'm not so sure. I'm not convinced. I think they could very well finish just outside finals football. But is that really good? Like, obviously, okay, so no one is going to tank. No one is going to tank. And I'm not saying they will. But surely it's better to invest in the youth if you're not going to make finals football. Maybe you should just play the kids for the rest of the year, see how they go, and try to rebound in 2023. But I get it. Kent might be coaching for his, for his future here. So he's going to try his hardest, his damnedest, to get them into finals football, I just think that they could potentially fall short. Now, North Melbourne, conversely, I think it's the easiest one so far. They have been the only team in 2023 to not improve, but also not go backwards. They are exactly where they were this time last year, which is thoroughly disappointing because this time last year, they were an absolute rabble. Then they responded. They, they, they put in good performances. 
against Hawthorne in Tasmania, they came back from 32 points down. They beat the Eagles in Perth. They pushed Geelong all the way. They had a draw with the Giants. They pushed Brisbane all the way. It was They pushed Essendon all the way. They challenged finalists. And now they're losing to Brisbane by over 100 points, losing to the Dogs by 70, losing to Geelong by 60, beating the West Coast Peel Thunder by only 15 points in a game that they should have won by more. Oh, it's just so disappointing, North Melbourne. Really disappointing. And they played Carlton, who Carlton you would think that would be would be churning at the bit to come out and be a brief fire. They played Fremantle in Perth, which looks like it's going to be an extremely difficult job for anyone, let alone someone at the bottom of the ladder. They played Melbourne in round 10. They play St. Kilda, who's flying in round 11. Uh, they play the potentially dangerous Suns in round 12. Honestly, I'm, I'm looking at this draw and I'm thinking, where's the next win going to come from? Honestly, they could very well be a 1-21 and 21 team, which we haven't had since the Giants in 2013, the Giants' second year. That's how bad they are. On to uh, Essendon. Look, Eventually, the, the, the fixture is going to open up for us, but not before we play the Bulldogs in round seven, the Hawks, who are flying in round eight, the Swans, who are flying even higher in round nine, our bogey team in Richmond, who we haven't beaten since 2014 in round 10, and a seemingly rejuvenated Port Adelaide in round 11. And that's before the bye. After the bye, we play Carlton and then St Kilda. This is quickly becoming an absolute nightmare of a season. And what's even worse is that I could totally see this becoming a 2018 situation where for the first eight weeks, we were pretty terrible, only like two and six. And then we dominated the rest of the year only to just miss out on finals football. I can absolutely see that happening. And then once, uh, once again, I ask, is that good? Is that a good result? I almost think that it's better for us to finish bottom four than to finish 11th or 10th. Ugh. Just depressing. I don't want to talk about Essendon anymore. So no, we're, we're not going to be, um, we're not going to be making finals football in 2023. Now on to the greater Western Sydney Giants. It's really weird. You would have thought that the return of Toby Green would have sparked something, but they still look so lethargic. They still look so pedestrian. And consider this, the Saints won by 17 points. They kicked 17 behinds. So they could have won by so much more. And now they're coming up to a really difficult stretch in their fixture, the Giants. They play the Crows in Adelaide. They play the Cats in Canberra. And they play the Blues in Sydney. Now, these three teams in their next stretch they had really good wins against last year at GWS when their backs were against the wall. Early in the year when they were struggling, they beat the Crows by 10 goals in Adelaide. When they had all those injuries in round 21 and they played Geelong in Geelong, they beat Geelong in Geelong, which rarely happens to anyone, let alone a team as young as the Giants had that night. And then they beat the Blues by seven goals in Sydney. They need some of that magic again because even if they only win one game out of that stretch, yeah, it's season done. One and eight or two and seven, you're not making finals from there because the margin for error is so slow. And they still, after that, have to play the Lions at the Gabba 
They play the dogs in Sydney. They play Collingwood at the MCG. Collingwood is really dangerous this year. And the Giants play terribly at the um, at the MCG. They play the Lions again. Uh, they play the Blues again. They play the Swans again. They play the Bulldogs again. It's just, yeah, no, this season is done. This season is done. And unfortunately, Leon Cameron might be done as well. West Coast, I already mentioned what I thought about them. Yeah, they're probably, they should be wooden spoon favorites simply because of how terrible they've been the last couple of weeks, especially losing the way they did against a team that they should have been competitive against in Port Adelaide. Like you can argue the Swans are a much better team this year than West Coast, and it showed in the 63-point margin. But against Port, this was a game that they could have won, and they were garbage. And they played Richmond, they played Brisbane, they played Melbourne before round 10. And they should be one and eight by the end of that. And in order to make finals after that, you can only lose two more games for the rest of the year. And I just don't think it's going to happen. West Coast, they're the worst team this year. And I'm including North Melbourne in that. It's an absolute, absolute disaster of a season for them. Now, Fremantle talked about how terrible West Coast are going. Their other Western Australian team doing extremely well in the Fremantle Football Club, which must make it even worse for West Coast fans. If Fremantle were playing terribly, at least West Coast fans could comfort themselves with that. But no, Fremantle are doing very well. Now, a lot of people have said, well, who has Fremantle beaten? You know, they haven't really beaten anyone. They've beaten the Crows by a point, which is now looking exceptionally impressive. They demolished a team that had a 12-game winning streak against them on West Coast. They beat the Giants, who last year were in the semifinal, comfortably by 34 points. For the second time ever, they beat the Bombers at Marvel Stadium, not just beat them, annihilated them. And now, finally, they have beaten a team inside the top eight at the same time that they're in the top eight, and that's the Carlton Football Club, and they did it with a plumb. And yeah, sure, Carlton, they had their injuries concern, pit net out and all that. But it takes a good team to take advantage of that. And the fact is not just that they're winning, they're winning comfortably. Since round two, 55-point win against West Coast, 34 points against the Giants, 48 against Essendon, 35 against Carlton. They're not just winning, they're building percentage, which is going to serve them very well for September aspirations. I think they're absolutely top six ready. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, you know what, I'm going far enough to say they are top four ready. And I wouldn't be surprised if they nab that fourth spot come the end of the season. And if they do, watch out, because I think they could potentially be a sneaky threat in finals football. Now, the Sydney Swans are an interesting team. They're four and two. Had that little joke at the start. They're four and two. They're two... Uh, excuse me, they're five and one. Short, sorry, sorry, Sydney supporters. Sorry, Father Swan supporters. Thought back to last year for a second. They're five and one, nevertheless. Disappointing loss in round three. They should have lost by more, considering how many more scoring shots the dogs had that they missed. But it's more so their wins that I'm slightly concerned about. Right? Played one really great half of football against the Giants, and that was enough. Barely survived against North Melbourne and talked about how terrible the kangaroos are could be one and 21 and yet they almost beat Sydney and they conceded the first five goals against Hawthorne. 
Now, they are exceptionally lucky that in those two games, they were playing teams that I still think will finish in the bottom six. Had they been playing Brisbane, who they play this weekend, or Geelong in those games, and I know they beat Geelong earlier, but that's besides the point, or Melbourne, who they yet to play, or Fremantle, who they yet to play, they wouldn't have won, let alone gotten even close to them. So I'm just skeptical about the Swans at the moment. But with that being said, they're playing poorly at times, and yet they're still winning games comfortably in the end, mostly, except for the North Melbourne game. So I'm a little bit torn. I think maybe, you know, they're what, they're third on the ladder. Maybe that's a little bit, maybe they're not quite top four ready just yet, but at the very least, you'd expect them to win a home and elimination final. Uh, win the right to host a home elimination final. Excuse me. Now, on to the tips for this weekend. It's a mammoth Friday night contest between two teams that are really struggling. Both teams could really use a little bit of luck here. It's West Coast versus Richmond. A blockbuster question mark Friday night clash in Perth. I remember back to 2018 when the Eagles crushed the Tigers by almost 10 goals. And that was when people started to really take them seriously. Uh, the Tigers are without Tarrant and without Cochin being rested just because of the short turnaround, according to afl.com.au. Uh, with that being said, Grimes, I think, might be back in, question mark, for the Tigers. Nevertheless, I just think Richmond at the moment, they're playing better football than the um, than the uh, Eagles are at the moment. I can't tip West Coast after what happened last week. I just, I genuinely can't. And you expect them to put in a better performance, but uh, they're just terrible. So I think for me, the best West Coast can do is an honorable loss. And I think that's going to happen. Richmond by eight points. This next game, I think had Fremantle being at full strength would have been a fascinating contest, like a really, really, really fascinating contest. Uh, but with that being said, because they aren't at full strength, they have uh, Sean Darcy out. That's a big out. He was a big reason why they won against the Blues, dominating the ruck, and now up against that midfield without your first choice ruckman, I think they're going to struggle. I think Geelong... They can ill afford because they've struggled the Cats against really, 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 really good teams normally. I know they beat Brisbane, but I mean normally. They can ill afford to lose to a team like Fremantle. I think Geelong going to win by 25 points. If this game was in Perth, I would be very tempted to tip Fremantle, but because it's in Geelong, Geelong by 25. Fremantle haven't won in Geelong since 2015 uh, and recently have had some absolute shockers down there. Um, remember the last game in 2018 or around 22, 2018, where they conceded 23 goals in a row. Um, thanks to that, Essendon has only conceded the second most goals in a row when we conceded 21. So thanks, Fremantle. Appreciate it. On to the Adelaide Oval. This game last year, I remember I tipped the Crows to win and the Giants won by 67 points. I would be gobsmacked if that happened this time around. That game happened a lot earlier than this game is. Now we are seeing a more sizable uh, portion of games. 
I think the Crows form is no fluke like it was at the start of last year. They are on fire, the Adelaide Crows, and they'll be looking at this game and licking their lips, especially that forward line. With that understrength Giants defense, I wouldn't be surprised if the Crows won by 10 goals. But at the moment, I'm going conservative, Adelaide by 30 points. On to an intriguing MCG game, Melbourne versus Hawthorne. Now, if Mitch Lewis is back for the Hawks, and I'm not sure he is, if he is back, then this game could be one of the games of the round just because I think Mitch Lewis is one of those forwards who can probably win a one-on-one with the likes of Lever and or May. So just up to the Hawks forward to keep May and Lever occupied, especially Lever because he's the one who likes to float across. I do think Melbourne's going to win though, kick a couple late just because they're just so much better than everyone else. And Hawthorne, yes, they're playing very well at the moment, but at the at the same time, there, there are signs that they are starting to tire, especially that last quarter. Conceding nine goals in a quarter, I think Melbourne by 27 points. Could be closer. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot more. On to Kazali Stadium. Footy returns to the northern uh, to the northern part of Queensland, far north Queensland, St. Cairns, Kazali Stadium, St. Kilda versus Port Adelaide. St. Kilda fans getting bad flashbacks to last year when they played the Crows in at Kazali, kicked the first 36 points of the game and lost in the end after an amazing goal by Riley Thilthorpe. And I think it's going to be a similar result. That's right. I'm tipping Port Adelaide the power. I think they are back. Here's the thing about St. Kilda, right? Unbelievable run so far. But they haven't played a team yet who has played four quarters of consistently good football. Port Adelaide, more often than not, have played four quarters of consistently good football. Even when they haven't, like against Carlton, they almost won. So I think this is the week the Saints get brought back to earth. The power by a point. Now, this is interesting, right? I've gotten this game in a close margin, this next one. Carlton versus North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. Just conscious of the fact that the Kangaroos tore the Blues to shreds last year because of how much they carved them up through the midfield. And I'm just starting to see signs of Carlton slipping back into poor form and into bad habits from the David Teague era. I'm still tipping Carlton to win, though, because I cannot tip North Melbourne with how much of a rabble they are. I wouldn't be surprised if this is bigger of a blowout, but I'm tipping the Blues by two points. Could be a really, 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 really close one. Now, on to my second upset that I'm tipping, Collingwood versus Gold Coast at the MCG. Everyone's talking about Collingwood. Unbelievable win against Essendon. They're three and three. Oh, they've got hope. Craig McRae's doing great things. Their kids are doing wonderful things. Their old players are playing like they're young themselves. And then they lose Brody Grundy to a massive injury. They have huge injury concerns, Collingwood. And I just think, I'm just thinking that that might mean that they are just too... Hmm. what's the right way to say this, that they are too uh, exposed, that they're too much in trouble, that they're in dangerous waters here, Collingwood. They're in dangerous waters. They're flying too close to the sun. There you go. There's a metaphor. Bring back the ancient ancient theme, the ancient motif that I have this season. Collingwood are Icarus at the moment, right? And I do think that this game, they might fly a little bit too close to the sun. Jack Bowes, could be back for the Gold Coast Suns' first game since uh, shoulder surgery early this year. 
um, Rosas and Lukosius might be back as well. Those are potentially three massive ins for the Gold Coast Suns. As for Collingwood, Grundy out, Kruger injured his shoulder, devastating for, for him. Um, really, really hope that he has a speedy recovery and a thorough recovery. Roughhead probably misses again. Those are big outs. Those are absolutely massive outs. And I think potentially the Suns are just going to be too dangerous for Collingwood. And you might be thinking, oh, don't be ridiculous. It's Gold Coast at the MCG. Remember last year, Gold Coast beat Collingwood at the MCG comfortably. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. I'm tipping a close one. Suns by four points. On to a game that I really don't want to talk about for too much longer. Bulldogs for uh, Bulldogs and Bombers. Um, tipping the Dogs by 23 points. I don't really think I have to explain this one, do I? Dogs are just better than Essendon in every single way. And that's saying, <laughs> uh, that's not saying much because the Dogs are absolutely awful this season. It speaks to how bad the Bombers are that I'm tipping the Dogs comfortably by 23 points despite their struggles. Um, man, I'm just hoping for a repeat of Peter Wright kicking seven goals. Please, please, St. Peter, save us. On to Sydney versus Brisbane at the SCG. This is a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Sunday 4 p.m. slot. Thinking the AFL is probably uh, probably regretting putting this on the late Sunday slot and not on the Friday night slot, but that's besides the point. Now, the Lions haven't beaten the Swans at the SCG since 2009, or as normal people call it, 2009. Since 2009, the Swans have dominated the Lions at the SCG. They beat the Lions by five goals at the Gabba last year. And they are arguably in a better position this time, this year than this time last year. So you might be tempted to tip them, but I'm tipping Brisbane. Looking at the odds, I think that is technically an upset. They're very close, but Brisbane by 10 points because I trust them more. I trust their older players more. I think the Swans, if they have lapses like they have against North Melbourne and Hawthorne, could potentially get buried. Because it's at DSCG, I think it's going to be a close game. If this was at the Gabba, I would be tipping Brisbane by more. But I'm tipping the Lions by 10 points. On to the game I'm most looking forward to. I think it's obvious. It's Sydney versus Brisbane. Two teams that I think could be premiership contenders this year, should be at least in the top four by the end of the season. It's super exciting. You've got a great group of young players in both clubs and both clubs are flying. Now onto the biggest potential blowout. There's lots of choices here. Uh, potentially, potentially, I think Richmond could put West Coast to the sword. Potentially the Bulldogs putting Essendon to the sword. But I'm going with Adelaide versus GWS. I think this could be an absolute whitewash. And if it is, that I really, really fear for Leon Cameron. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this very special episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Do let me know what you think of the single host format. Hopefully we'll have a host back next week. But let me know if you thought it was good, if it was terrible. Let me know on Twitter, on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Join me next week as me and a co-host, hopefully, Review round seven and preview round eight of this intriguing, intriguing season. Until then, farewell. Farewell.